0: All right. Welcome back to Radio Wasteland and our guest, N.K. Cranda. Um, <clears throat> how are you doing in this uh, post-apocalyptic uh, world? Are you, you know, what state are you in right now?
1: I live in the great state of Texas.
0: Texas. So mm-hmm. how's Texas dealing with it? You know, being in California and Oregon, you know, we have, we have some pretty... Uh, yeah, we have the
1: stay-at-home orders and everything.
0: The stay-at-home orders. But what's going on there with you?
1: Well, we're supposed to be having the whole stay-at-home orders thing, so going to the grocery store is interesting. Like, I actually made my own mask. It's got aliens and everything on it. And, you know, oh, nice. working in healthcare and stuff, like, I wear it for their protection. And then the people will come up to me, and they'll just say, like, oh, my God, you know, that mask isn't going to do anything, right? It's like, um, I'm wearing this for your protection, but I can take it off if you want me to. Mm-hmm. Oh my God and also having asthma and allergies. I have a dry cough year round anyway, but if I cough in a grocery store, everyone's like dramatic look.
0: (laughs) Yeah, me too. I I smoked for years and I don't think I'll ever get over the the cough. You know, it's like, that's, it's just so every time I'm out, which isn't very often I've been following the rules pretty well, but every time I'm out, I'm thinking, Oh God, you know, but, uh, I can't believe people actually come up to you and say something to you about your mask. Yeah,
1: that's, that's incredibly yeah. rude. What's their problem? I don't I, I don't know. I don't know.
0: <laughs> Didn't their mom teach them no manners?
1: Yeah. I just want my fruit loops, man. Get out of my face. Right, yeah,
0: <laughs> totally. Uh okay. sentiment we can all identify with. So your focus seems to have changed here a little bit uh, over the over the past. Uh, it's been about a year since we had you on. And um,
1: did I make it on? What I know we we planned something and then I think we had to reschedule. I think this is my first my first time.
0: Huh. Well, uh, I'll edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I have no memory <laughs> of you being on, but I missed yeah, a no few, so. <laughs> I remember trying to work it out, but, um, you know, you see, first off, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about you. You seem to have a lot of interests across the board as I was Facebook stalking you. Um, Ooh. so why the main focus on UFOs when you seem to have, uh, interest in cryptids and, um, and, uh, what was it? Uh, there's a lot of, uh, I don't think witchcraft was the word a lot of there's just a lot of stuff represented there so why focus on ufos
1: yeah uh i have a huge range of esoteric interests and studies Mm -hmm. um i think i just ended up starting with ufos it was just the place that i started um i ended up volunteering as a secretary for a local mufon chapter that's how we met our mutual friend, William Pullen, I get to see him oh, yeah. in the face and touch him. Hello, angel face, how are you? Um, <laughs> you know, I actually went through the motions of becoming like a trained field investigator. I read the manual, like I, I did the whole nine yards. I think it's just where I began. Um, mm-hmm. And then I ended up separating from MUFON and moving away from them and then doing my own private project of experience or research and preservation so I'm happy that I have those connections because I got to meet some really wonderful people like uh, Peter Robbins and Earl Grey Anderson and William. And at the same time, I was like, "Here's a really fantastic repertoire of what not to do when you're talking to people that have huge potential trauma." So, um, right. th- Thank you, Mufan. Um, I'm good. I think I'm. I'm a lot happier where I am now. But. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, do, I do everything from UFOs to cryptids, uh, people contact me with paranormal experiences. Um, and most of the time it, it's a mixed bag when they talk to me. So it's, it's necessary to have that knowledge in so many different areas, especially when, you know, uh, a couple of months from now, I was supposed to do like a, a dying declaration preservation for one of the last Hopi elders on the, the whole reservation. So oh, wow. yeah. Um, I I don't know. UFOs are cool. I like them, but it's not my whole bag.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, um, you know, this uh, the dying declaration kind of fits in with with um, the experiences, the abductee experiences and the sighting experiences. You know, when. When people take that, you know, you're talking about. We can we can translate move on to just bureaucracy in general. I mean, this of course is going to happen time that that there's some kind of bureaucracy. Do you have a set list of of questions, a set list of things that that you collect from them to get the data, or do you just try to get it all in the hopes that somebody else will figure out the data or maybe that you will later?
1: Um, no, and it's very important that I do that because so many. MUFON investigators are leading and shaping that interview when they have a preset list of questions. Hmm. So that's how I started, but I trained myself out of it to just begin a conversation, you know, ripped it off from Julie Andrews. Let's start at the beginning, a very good place to start. Hmm. And then that is where they can take off. Like maybe they'll start in childhood. Maybe they'll start in high school. Maybe they'll start out with a near-death experience. And then as they're talking, I can kind of you know, ask questions for uh, additional information about this, but you don't want to stop their flow too much because then they may get caught up on something and forget about other things. I also interview a ton of like, uh, like, uh, can you tell I'm from California? <laughs> <laughs> I also interview, um, you know, Indeed, the the so. elderly. The elderly. Uh, I interview a lot of um, veterans that are like on their deathbed. I really enjoy doing dying declarations. So. Sometimes they'll just take off like a shot and you just, you've got to right. nod and show affirmative listening and just let them go. Um, but I, I don't have a preset list of questions. Um, as far as the research part, after I get their story down, then we can kind of walk back through it and I can ask them questions for, uh, for understanding and also to help out with my research and a couple of my other researcher friends as well so that we can get those markers together. Right. Yeah. Sort of my <laughs> understand my the
0: impression I've gotten from On sometimes is that they're an organization that's really, like, wants the trappings of scientific rigor because their legitimacy is, is so often questioned, as with every
1: UFO organization. So I imagine that the set list of questions and everything, it's all just like, we have a process, we have a process. But, and that's what's so wonderful about being a preservationist, is that you get yeah. to remove yourself from that investigative Bind. And I have some really wonderful investigators. Um, uh, William Pullen and I are going to talk this weekend. I had a person contact me for uh, a preservation, but they also had a ton of questions. And I'm like, well, I have a whole bunch of colleagues that I'd love to kind of bring in on this. And then they can do their own separate interviews or they can look at this testimony from a completely different angle than I can. And it it just makes it a much more full, multifaceted, scientific, analogical, and and also empathetic where I come into it. yeah, I'm really excited for that
0: this weekend. That's cool. Yeah, that that uh, makes sense because I was going to basically, you know, play devil's advocate here for the sake of talking for an hour, and that is that, um, you know, in order for science to to happen, there has to be metrics, there has to be stuff, there has to be provable stuff or or at least anecdotal stuff but then you use the word to refer yourself as a preservationist as opposed to a investigator and now on an anthropological level uh you know i see a huge amount of importance to that as well so i i totally uh get where this is coming now i've heard these complaints about these groups that that collect this data and and you know i i have no connection with any of them so i don't know how i feel about it but but i do feel that there is no, there has to be some sort of collection of anecdotal knowledge to get the larger science community to even give a damn, you mm-hmm. know, uh, because they they really historically haven't much and they're starting to a little more that's happening, you know, Um, but um, I guess the argument could be made that um, the collection of the stories and the preservationist aspect is part of what's getting them there as well. I think there's a big power to hearing that person's story. How many of these people that you collect their stories, um, do they mind you sharing them or uh, or do you Uh, or do you file um, them away in a in a locker to never be seen again or
1: (laughs) please (laughs) edit out all of my I'm so tired. Um, Some of them are open to sharing, they're like, I want to get this out there, Uh, and I think a lot of it is that they've had that pain for so long of this weird thing happened to me and I can't talk about it, I can't can't tell my teachers about it, I can't tell my wife about it, I could lose my job, they'll probably send me to a mental institution. Um, A lot of them that come to me now, they're like, look, this is my story. I want it out there. I want people to know that they're not as alone as they think they are. So those are really um, empowering emotional preservations that I do. And a lot of them, I've, I've walked through them with me, like on a mad scientist podcast with Chris Cogs, I took an experiencer, Kyle, with me so that he could tell his own story with his own voice. Um, that was a pretty powerful couple of episodes. Uh, he had been through everything from uh, an, a serious near-death experience as a kid where it was extremely traumatic to uh, mm-hmm. seeing a UFO in his yard to um, actually waking up outside of his house and his parents back 40. They thought that he was sleepwalking, so they put double-keyed bolts on the doors. And okay. he was much too young to be able to open and get up and out of windows, so he said he would just wake up in the woods and run back to his house, just screaming and pounding on the doors for his parents to let him in. And he's, they were like, the doors were always closed. We had no idea how you got outside. Um, And then how, how he was able to move through that, you know, because 20 years ago there were no resources. You couldn't just hop on the internet and go look at Reddit and talk to other people. Um, I was like, so you're a very healthy individual, you know, you're, you seem to be pretty much saying you have a really good job. Like, how did you survive this? How did you go about processing those experiences and not letting it ruin your life? Um, yeah, it was wonderful. So those are probably some of my favorite cases where they they want to put it down, but they also want it to be shared to help other experiencers.
0: Yeah. so speaking of cases and, um, you know, we were talking about collecting data and, and similarities in your Preservationist role, um, have you found similarities that you didn't find before? One more time. <laughs> in, in the preservationist role, you're taking you're taking their large stories, and so you're getting a lot more um, information out of them, other than the answering of the questions and the leading of the conversation. Have you found any similarities? from doing it that way that maybe you wouldn't have seen before or wouldn't have been so obvious before you know are there these similarities that that have stood out to you in people's stories at this point
1: absolutely um and we're also when i was going through move training and everything else that they, they have their own experience or research program and they have their own set list of markers where you can kind of check the boxes of all of these different people um, mm. for me yeah when I went off and started doing my own work, you know, um, I'm a big trauma advocate that, you know, honor yourself because you survived, is that once these people had some sort of trauma, that these experiences started to kind of explode, or maybe they got much more intense, or maybe they started to pay attention to them more. And uh, I think I went over that on Hysteria 51 about how I backed it up with science that trauma actually changes the neural pathways of your brain. It rewires you. So I was wondering, you know, is is trauma kind of a door opener to having some of these experiences? I noticed that it made people a lot more empathetic. They were much kinder. They were much calmer. They were always so willing to help. Like I've had experiencers checking on me from all over the United States. It's been so heartwarming. Like, do you need help? Do you need food? Do you need help with utilities? I'm like, no, I'm okay. Um, Also, that uh, most of the experiencers that I talk to, it's rarely ever just one thing. So they're called uh, multi-phenomena experiencers. So it's never just, for me, it's never just one UFO sighting. It's never just one, I saw this thing in the woods. It's it's a whole timeline of different things that are coming around and kind of interacting with them, which is not what I was expecting. You know, Mm -hmm. MUFON trained me to look at the ufos look at the pictures if there's orbs great if there's trauma don't worry about it we're here for ufos and it's it's so much more than that
0: you find that trauma is a common uh thing with these i mean personally if i if i just looked up and saw a ufo i don't think i would experience trauma i would feel maybe excitement related or i guess maybe fear if i was um, a different person i mean i have to understand that but uh, do you find that trauma a is a these, common? I imagine a lot of these people have experiences that are somewhat more than looking up and seeing a UFO. Yeah, that's what I'm getting <laughs> at, because I mean, I'm I'm sort of excluding that kind of experience um, outside of that. Um, is, is trauma a common aspect of these experiences?
1: That's kind of. Two, two answers to that is that, you know, of course, having an experience like that can be very traumatizing. Sometimes it's awe-inspiring. It's wonderful. It, it encourages people to write books and help others and, and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, other times when I talk about a traumatic event, that could be something that has happened in their childhood or a near-death experience. Um, a lot of times I notice the, the activity picking up a lot during puberty or when I interview kids, I'm one of the only people out there that will interview children, um, is that who do we ignore the most in society? Kids and the elderly. Oh, you're just making stuff up. Oh, you're just doing it for attention.
0: Hell, I ignore those two around my house.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So uh, it's, if you actually just sit down with one of them and just let them talk and, you know, they they tell some pretty incredible stuff. And I've kept tabs on a couple of kids that I have interviewed when they were young, And when they got to puberty, their parents will tell me like, yeah, this activity, like it petered down. We thought it was just a a one-time thing. It explodes again. So there's also that biological aspect of it. And then a lot of the times, you know, some people will say that something happened to them when they were 20. They, uh, were abducted or they saw a cryptid out in the woods. And then when they're older and in their seventies and life is kind of starting to slow down and everything else, um, their activity will start picking up as well, uh, I don't know. I don't know if it has to do with brain function. I don't know if it has to do with, you know, just when you're an adult, you're a lot busier. You have a lot more of your bandwidth being used up on reality and day-to-day things. But talking to kids and talking to the elderly is like my peanut butter and jelly. They're my favorite.
0: You know, I, I was going to agree with the two things that you just said, because before puberty, I probably have about five or six strong memories. And in the last 10 years of having to work so hard and raise a family, I probably have about 10 or 12 strong memories because those age brackets are either, uh, you know, mentally squirrely because you're coming around or mentally squirrely because you're working constantly, you know? So uh, that, that definitely makes sense. But this raises the question. So if it's people now, this is, we're going speculative. A lot of this is speculative. I know. The woo-woo happens now. Um, If it's specific people and it's happening over courses of their time, you know, so the thought could either be, I'm a wilderness guy and I tag a buck or I tag a shark and now I'm going to track it all over its lifespan because I want to know what's up with it. Or the argument could be that I, that there is something special or specific about me that is causing this or bringing it on. And I'm guessing maybe that's where some of the trauma comes from in some of these situations. Have you thought of any, you know, the, the idea that it's them, that there's something specific about them that's bringing this
1: on. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And there's a, there's a lot of them. And if, even if you just don't pull from MUFON, let's go to uh, David Paulitis missing 411. Do you know about him? No. Okay, big facts guy, Uh, retired police officer, uh, does a huge amount of investigations for uh, mysterious disappearances in national parks. It's a fantastic book Mm. series, I love it. Gonna meet David Paulitis one day, I'm gonna meet him.
0: (laughs) (laughs) think I I think I've actually heard him on Coast to Coast.
1: Yeah, so um, he has his own set of markers as to why these mysterious disappearances happen, who they happen to. And he not only figured out that they were clustered around certain places, but it was usually male, usually of Germanic descent. Um, They were either extremely fit or had some kind of disability. And it gets even creepier because the kids that come back alive remember almost nothing. Whereas the kids that would be older, like an eight or nine year old, a Boy Scout that got lost, he would be able to remember what happened and where he was the whole time. More often than not, the older children that go missing, just their remains are found. And then there's, yeah, and then there's a couple of very rare cases where the kids do remember, and the stuff that they talk about is just incredible. Like I'd I'd have no idea how a three or four year old could come up with that terrific of a story, especially when TV and radio wasn't even around back then. That was a Mount Shasta case. Do you have any examples that spring to mind? The Mount Shasta case was one of my favorites. Um, Basically, he said that an old lady took him away from his parents. His parents didn't notice anything. She ended up making him go into a cave inside of the mountain. And he said she was just a robot. I don't know how to explain it, but the way that she was moving and there were sparks, like she wasn't a real person. She was a robot. She was just pretending Hmm. to be a person. This kid is three. Right. He can barely, barely talk. Like, I don't think that he's coming up with like this old lady took me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it ended, you know, they found him. He's like, the lady took me to a bush and she said, wait here and they will find you. Now, this place had been torn <laughs> apart by search and rescue. They had dogs. They had people out there looking for him. Like if he was just hiding in a bush, they would have found him. So this kid went missing from his parents, was gone for a considerable amount of time, came back alive and unharmed, and is telling a story about how a lady that was pretending to be a person but was actually a robot took him into a cave for a while.
0: Yeah, it's like a it's cross so between... Bizarre. It's like a cross between the Pied Piper and I Sing the Body Electric. It's like, that is some <laughs> profound storytelling for a three-year-old, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so... You know, without divulging anybody's uh, name, you know, I like to dig into some of the experiences that, that have been shared with you. You know, what do you think the weirdest story that's been told to you is uh, regarding UFOs? I mean, I understand uh, that you do some of the the Hopi, the near death. There's I'm sure there's a lot of stuff on a spiritual level that people could find incredibly um Outside of their belief system with that stuff, but uh, as far as UFOs are concerned, like what's the weirdest thing that's been reported to you?
1: The weirdest one, um, which was probably also the most heartbreaking, was that I got a Rendlesham experiencer. I, I didn't know much about Rendlesham. Um, I, I had no idea about the whole dynamic and that people are still crazy about this whole Rendlesham thing. I was like, Oh, okay. What's a Rendlesham? Let me Google that. And I was like, Oh boy. Mm -hmm. So not only did I get a Rendlesham experiencer, I got a Rendlesham experiencer before all of that stuff with Mr. Warren happened and everything else. Um, he was a kid. So he's telling me this story. And, uh, I I had seen his passport. I had seen his report card from school. I had seen his military ID. Like he was there, his dad was in the service. Like he had all the paperwork to back it up, very uh, quiet, courteous individual. And, um, he told me that there was a craft that would be out in the woods and he used to wake up with missing time and he would be out in the woods and the beings would talk to him and they would say, Oh, don't you want your friends to believe you? Like, why don't you come bring them out here to come see the ship? You you know, it'll be fun. You know, we'll, we'll just have them come over. And he knew what they were doing and he knew that they just wanted more kids to take. And he said, no, I'm not going to bring more kids out into the woods for you to take them. And because of that, uh, they made his life a living hell. And he, never divulged from it. He never brought anyone else out there. He said, I just didn't want to do any more harm. And for someone that was in elementary school, like I almost broke down in tears. Like I'm in the middle of interviewing with a microphone and I was like, oh my God. Like first of all, that's amazing, you know, to have a Rendlesham experiencer way before all of this and after all this time. Also to just I said, you know, let's let's take a minute here and let's honor your younger self. Let's honor your younger self because that was an incredible thing that he did, and he survived through that. And if he didn't do that, you wouldn't be here today. And uh, just the survivor's guilt and the remorse, and also, you know, that even though it was incredible to see this UFO and to be a part of that and to, to have experienced the lighthouse and all of the orbs and all of the other activity, um, he had a tremendous amount of emotion and survivor's guilt about it. So that's definitely one of the weirder ones that I've had, and it was uh it was it was a difficult one to get through. It really was, and it still is. I still keep in contact with him, but um yeah, it's heavy stuff, heavy stuff sometimes not always fun it
0: it yeah. is and i I can't help but think, and it's a question I always ask every every guest that we have that deals with anything outside of themselves and i find the motivation so weird again with this one we have kind of a pied piper kind of thing going on uh it almost seems like it's stephen king and the tommy knockers or some business it's like you know what is i it's all speculative but i can't help but to sit there and think you know, okay, if it's aliens and they got super technology, what the hell do they care about this stuff? Can't they just scan us like Dr. McCoy? Why are they taking scoops out of us and probing us? You know, it's like, that's weird. Why are they taking us? You know, it's like, is it nefarious? I don't know. It's always the question for me on all of these things is always motivation and culture. You know, I just don't get any of it. I mean, uh, I guess there's not really a question there unless you have any speculation to throw in
1: it's a question that's asked to me pretty much every time i do a preservation of you know why is this happening why are they doing this what's going on um really the only answer that i can give is that sometimes there is no why there's just what is right and you have to either come to terms with it and help move, move yourself through that, or you can stay stuck on it. Mm-hmm. But for me, that's, that's something that I can't speak on. Um, I don't know. Part of me probably really doesn't want to know. Yeah. So well, I get that. Yeah. I, I, I like that a lot. It's just like, you know, let's deal with the what is. And I leave the why to the people that yell on ancient aliens about things.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Have you recorded many we've had a lot of conversation here about trauma um have you had any positive experiences reported to you um is there any ever been any that took away trauma made somebody's life better um any any truly positive experiences
1: oh yeah there was a a gentleman that came up to me um and he had been he had been doing a lot of things in Panama, you know, you remember the war on drugs? Yeah. <laughs> so doing a lot of really terrible, dark things in Panama. Um, and he had an experience where he had gotten some kind of, I don't remember if it was a gunshot wound or just a laceration wound, but he said, I was basically in the jungle bleeding to death and it was not fun. I'm like, I can imagine that that would not be fun. does it sound great. And he said, it's like I was going into shock because all of the sound and everything just left. And he said, all of a sudden I started hearing bells. I was like, bells. He's like, what kind of bells? He's like, they're just very calm jingling bells. And he said, and there was a woman above me and she was gorgeous. She had long red hair and she was wearing some kind of a green dress. And he said, she gave me like a kiss on the forehead. And then all of a sudden I just blacked out. So he woke up in a hospital two days later. He said, I had a scar on my thigh where I had been bleeding to death. Like it had nicked his femoral artery. He should have died. And all the doctors are like, um, how'd you get this big ass scar on your thigh? And he's like, well, last thing I remember is I was bleeding to death in the woods. And you're telling me that was only two days ago. So I don't think that that's enough time for this to have healed. So I asked him what he thought it might've been. And he's like, it's almost like I was whisked off to like, Fairyland, and one of the fae women healed me. He's like, I'm Irish, but not that Irish. He's like, I have no other explanation <laughs> for it. He says, right. I not wasn't
0: Irish enough to bring him to Panama.
1: He's like, I wasn't hallucinating, getting shot. It hurt like hell.
0: <laughs> yeah, that is why. Honestly, several of the stories you've told in
1: this show so far have had fae vibes, big time. But this yeah. is beneficial fae, at least. Maybe, maybe it was not official fae.
0: Yeah. Well. The Pied Piper reference is definitely a fairy reference um, or a fairy style reference. And we (laughs) seem to be getting that, you know, quite a bit. And, um, you know, we've done a lot of these these shows and interviews with people. And I've never really made the connection of the luring people in until you told those two stories. And I kind of want to go back and look at some of those things and and see how often that story is 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 happening, because I think it was happening more than I noticed. And it's definitely piqued my interest and imagination. But. Um, so you said that you were from California, and this might get everybody to hate us, but uh, all three of us are from California. Uh, uh, although snap. only only one of us is still in California. I'm in Oregon right now. Um, was your move to Texas, did that have anything to do with your research or was that uh, purely coincidental?
1: Uh... The move to Texas, I feel, is where it really started because, you know, I I was very unofficial before this. I was just the person that people knew that they could come to. Um, I wasn't uh, writing down any formal preservations. Um, It wasn't until I actually came to Texas. I I was introduced to a community, um, the most ridiculously overqualified MUFON secretary in existence. I'm sorry. I felt (laughs) like I was. But I was like, you know, all these people are coming here and they're telling these amazing stories. Like, why isn't anybody writing them down? Why isn't anybody talking to them like they're people? Um, And, you know, nobody wants to do like open mic when they have a horrible traumatic experience. I felt that it should have been happening on a more private level. So I feel like the move to Texas is definitely just kind of where it began and where it exploded for me. Um, San Antonio is a very big city. Uh, There's a lot of professionals here that I wasn't prepared to meet like uh, Houston move on with Steve Bates is fantastic. They're just an incredible chapter. I love working with them. Um, you got Austin up to the, to the North where they've got the anomaly archives, which is an incredible collection of not only UFO books, but, um, Celtic folklore. Like hmm. I'm going to be volunteering up there this summer in Austin. That's going to be great. But, uh, yeah, I, I felt pretty isolated in California where I was, um, People think that Texas is pretty conservative most of the time, but I feel like in San Antonio, there's actually a really cool little, little culture here for UFOs and Mm. aliens, probably because of the big veteran population we have.
0: Right. Can I ask where you were from in California?
1: Um, I was from...
0: For the most part, generally. Like
1: the suburb of LA. Oh, okay. I had lived in a small town most of my childhood, and then I moved to kind of like a suburb of LA
0: Mm mm-hmm okay you know so (laughs) (laughs) so um you know you, you brought up another point that i was going to to get to you're ahead of me you know you said you weren't comfortable doing these things and you got me beat um texas is generally considered more conservative now i'm talking socially conservative leaving politics out of it just socially conservative than california do you find that there's a difference in what people are telling you, or the light is it's like getting a story out of people there more like pulling teeth than it is in California, or do you find that there's differences? I guess with the internet you're now taking stories from across the nation and and do you find that people from different aspects of the nation are more or less likely to throw it out? I'm sure you get that from age brackets, but I'm looking geographically
1: that's a Broad question. Um,
0: Well, we have time.
1: (laughs) I feel like people from Arizona and people from Austin and people from California are more open to talking about energies and energy signatures and things like that, you know. Mm -hmm. Whereas people in some of the more conservative places I've interviewed, like Florida and North Carolina and Texas, they just want to tell you the story. They just want to tell you what happened. They don't want to talk about frequencies. They don't want to talk about vibrations. They don't want to talk about dreams. They just want to be like, hey, I saw this UFO. This is where I was. This is what happened. Thank you very much for your time. And I'm like, okay. Whereas a person from Austin will tell you, um, they'll, they'll be much, much more open to talking about it. I don't know if it's a situational thing. I don't know if it's nature versus nurture, but uh, I think a lot of people are just worried about being labeled kooky or speculative or wee-woo or whatever the hell. I don't know. There's, there's so many investigators out there that I just want to, like, bop in the nose. I'm like, can you just let people talk, please? It, it, right. It'll be okay. You'll get yeah. back there.
0: You know, that makes sense on two levels. Of course, on the uh, spiritual level, uh, it's, at least here in California Oregon, I'm not going to pretend to know anything about Texas, but at least here in California and Oregon, everybody has a family member that's, that's kooky you know everybody has a family member that they consider to be the kooky one you know they can that can and of course i'm talking from the angle of being not kooky i'm a little kooky myself but i'm saying the the normies have those kooky family members? We're all experiencing that. I don't know yeah. if if people. I, think I might be the kooky family member. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the black <laughs> sheep. But I, I think you're right, and this might be an assumption <laughs> on on let's say Michigan that everybody doesn't have. At least a crazy ant that can read their auras and and heal them with a crystal or or something like that. But that's very, very common here in California and, and Oregon. And so I get that on the spiritual level. And of course, the Southwest in general is known for the UFO sightings. So really, they, that makes a lot of sense to me. All right. So, um, you know, earlier we did a lot of talk about trauma. And it it posed the question for me of continuing help with trauma. So let's say I'm a person and I have a repressed memory or a memory that I just need to get out there and it's caused me a lot of trauma. It has to do with aliens. It has to do with some otherworldly experience. And, you know, if I go to a counselor or I go to a psychiatrist, they're not receptive to those things normally, or I assume, I guess I'm making an assumption here. You know, how do you help people find, now I realize that you're probably not giving them continuing help, but I assume you point them in a direction to try to get that help. Are there counselors and people out there that that specify in this?
1: Absolutely. So people say that there's a lot of really terrible counselors and really terrible psychiatrists. I counter with it. There's also a lot of really terrible people. So uh, these That's counselors, true. you know, when you go in there, you can kind of test the waters and see if they're going to be open to discussing it, if, if they've done this type of thing before, or are they just going to kind of look at you and write down that you have paranoid delusions and so on and so forth. So I, I have a network of professionals that I refer people out to I'm not a counselor, I'm not a licensed psychiatrist, I don't pretend to be. So if right. people have, like like say they have a serious, serious traumatic event, and they, they just wanna break through this wall, they wanna remember, they did, they just have to do it. I'm like, look, I'm the wrong person for you, and I also have to explain to them that, you know, if you decide to break through those floodgates of your brain, and your brain's only job is to keep you alive and safe, I said, you know, you could have a a full mental breakdown, right? And it's it's incredibly heartbreaking how many people go to hypnosis as a last resort before trying some of these other uh, therapies to help them remember, like uh, prolonged exposure therapy, um, cognitive behavioral therapy. There's so many other ways to help you remember repressed memories from trauma. And I, I... it sucks to say but i've i've had preservation candidates that wanted to do that i said no a couple of other people i found out through the grapevine that um they ended up going and having hypnosis done and then that person had ended up not being able to handle it the person that was doing the hypnosis was not a medical professional had no way of knowing the signs of like hey this person is going through a serious decline you need real medical help Um, and they ended up committing suicide and there's Mm -hmm so many more that i'm sure that i haven't heard of where these experiences do cause people to take their own life so you know if if you need help get serious help like if you've already come to terms with this if you're okay if you can function through your daily life and it's not bothering you that much then i would encourage you to go forward with an in, in investigation or with preservation or something like that but you you don't want to mess around with something as important as your brain you really don't. It's not worth your life.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it's like uh, my my mother-in-law. <clears throat> my mother-in-law is a uh, Christian, very Christian, to a fault. She's very Christian. And uh, <laughs> that's my own terrible mother-in-law slash Christian sense of humor. Um, and she has a counselor who is also Christian, and that helps her. You know, because they can connect on their belief. Um, if I were to have a Christian counselor, I don't think that I would feel that I connected with that person very well, or I might feel, uh, or if a Christian person had a non Christian counselor, they might look at that person's experiences as being delusional as opposed to being a religious experience. And so when these people go to counseling, Are there counselors who have had experiences or are true believers or, or at least receptive to the possibilities? Uh, you get where I'm going with this.
1: Definitely. And any, any seasoned counselor out there that's been around and has experience, um, they've had experiences that they cannot explain. Like just going through a hospital at night, you can feel how weird it is just talking to, to EMT stuff and stuff. Um, if you come to a counselor and they're so close-minded that they don't even want to talk about that, please go find a different counselor. I promise okay. that they're out there. Um, there's been things where uh, sometimes people find help in group counseling, and they have so many incredible phenomena. Like they'll start having shared dreams. Uh, they'll start uh, being able to remember each other's family members' names. Like I've heard a lot of really incredible stories from professionals, and it's a uh, not to change the subject too much, but it's sad how far behind the United States is compared to spirituality and psychology and the way those things naturally intermesh, say like China or Japan, mm-hmm. you know, um, one of my friends, she, she was a very close friend. I met her through the preservation project, but she actually ended up getting institutionalized by her family for a 72 hour watch. And, uh, she was, she was completely fine. She was, not having a mental break. She was just talking about this stuff for the first time. So the the interns did not know what to do with her. So they ended up actually taking her to the head of medicine for that mental institution. And he's like, okay, like, I understand where you're going with this. I don't think that you're crazy. We're going to release you from your 72 hour hold. But the things that she was talking about, like vibrational frequencies and the way that she was moving through this and the way that her experiences were escalating, he said, you're going to have to pursue like Eastern medicine to find anything close to what you are looking for. And I, w- I was shocked that she got that response because it is very rare that a uh, psychiatrist will be like, Hey, I don't think I can handle this. I'm not right for you. But I, I wish, I wish that we weren't so conservative as a country that, you know, it's it's okay to have these experiences. It's been happening for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean you're crazy because you could see auras or you notice vibrational frequencies or when you walk in a room, like a radio goes crazy. Right. That happens all the time.
0: Yeah. And even just on the most uh, clinical of uh, examines of that good English chance um, that you're not a harm to yourself or anyone else. Why would somebody be put in that situation? That wasn't harming. I mean, uh, believe me, if we could institutionalize people for being irritating, I would be the only one left on the damn planet. You know, it's like, That's not, that's not a good enough reason to institutionalize somebody.
1: Correct. And so many people label this as attention seeking behavior. So these, these experiencers, just attention seeking behavior, attention seeking behavior. They're just bored. They're making shit up. And I'm like, so a true, a true experiencer, (laughs) one of these people that has been through the mill, like my Rendlesham experiencer, I'm like, nobody would want this nobody would want this you would not want this happening in your life it's Mm -hmm. immensely stressful and disruptive like do you know how much they crave that they could just be normal and not have that thing happen to them right Mm -hmm. so it every time i hear like oh that person's just just attention seeking they just want they just want to get their face out on the radio and everything else there's a lot of ways to get out there on the radio without saying that all these terrible things happen to you in the woods
0: Yes, uh, I agree. I always find that to be an, an interesting just huck around motivation that, oh, uh, you know, oh, they they want to be famous. You know, I've met a lot of people in my life. A lot of them are doing stuff like you and I are doing. I don't think either of us really want to be famous. Sure. Would we like to make more money from what we're doing? Yes, I think everybody would say yes to that, uh, because more than zero would be nice. But. um, <clears throat> Fame, I don't know. Fame is not a motivation that I've seen in a lot of people. I've only seen it in very, very few. Um, okay, well, we are coming up on the end here. So let's say people have had experiences and they want to find out more or they want to share their story with you and get their story out there. Uh, how do they get in touch? with um, you?
1: I am on Facebook as NK Cranda but also uh, I have a Gmail. So preserve your experience at gmail.com. I'm very accessible. I usually return emails within one to three days. Um, But one of the things that I'm looking for is I'm shifting focus from my preservation project right now. And I'm actually shifting focus to a survival guide for experiencers, for people that are going through these things. And just a I have come across so many wonderful tools just to help you kind of cope, to help you process, to help you find the right counselor, even just how to start talking about these things. So, I would really love it if some people could start reaching out to me saying, you know, yes, I am an experiencer and this thing happened to me. This is how I survived it. This is how I put myself through the motions and got myself through it. This is how I got up in the morning. This is how I took care of my kids. There's a lot of really incredible survivors out there that go through these things. And I'm, I'm in the process of writing the book, but I would like to have more variety because I've noticed throughout all of this research that it's really about families. It's not about the individual as much as I thought that it was. It's about people that, you know, maybe they had experiences as a kid, they were able to move past it, but now that they have children, what do you do when your six-year-old comes running into the room screaming that there's an owl outside their window and it won't go away? Yeah. it's really, it's yeah. incredibly frightening. And they, they're, they just feel so isolated and so alone. And I'm hoping to put this book out there, not to make money, but to just to help people be like, Hey, take it or leave it. If one story helped you, fantastic. If you got one tool from this, you know, honor yourself because you survived. That's a tool. Um, if you survive it, you get to define it. That's another tool. And there's, I've got some really wonderful writers and my experiencers and I, I just want to get it out there. So if you have a story or if you have an experience, you just want to say hi, preserve your experience at gmail.com. Come talk to me. I'll say right. hi.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, you've been listening to NK Kranda here on Radio Wasteland. You want to find out more about her, look up NK Cranda on Facebook or preserve your experience at gmail.com. All this information will also be available at radiowasteland.us. And until next time, thank you for being on the show.
1: Thank you.